right, we are back. Uh, let's talk about those uh, those science stories. One bad, one good. The bad one is really bad. Um, I was quite shocked to learn that meat from wild primates killed in Africa is landing on dinner plates in North America and Western Europe. It's being offered for sale in clandestine markets from Los Angeles to Paris. Primates make up nearly a third of the illegal international trade in bush meat. This article in New Scientist magazine notes that when they went out looking, uh, starting with biologist Justin Brashares at the University of California at Berkeley, uh, unfortunately, this uh, the rumors uh, were confirmed. Primate meat makes up uh, a large share of what's sold overseas compared with markets in West and Central Africa, and even they they found even gorilla and chimpanzee parts being sold in the United States. And of course, uh, it's expensive. They note that, uh, you know, it's clearly a luxury trade item. Uh, You could easily go out and buy a filet mignon in London for what some of these transplanted Africans are paying for baboon meat. Horrifying story, and we hope that someone will do something about that. All right, somewhat balancing off that horrifying tale is a rather heartwarming story of... um, a really, a really surprising story from Australia. Lord Howe Island is located somewhere north of Sydney and south of Brisbane, and making it rather tropical off the eastern Australian coast. Um, in fact, Lord Howe Island gets quite a write-up in the current issue of Islands magazine about what a tropical paradise it is. But according to New Scientist magazine, on June 14, 1918, a supply ship was shipwrecked off the coast, and unfortunately, the rats on board the ship made it on to Lord Howe Island, where they wiped out a few of the indigenous species, one of which was a rather large walking stick insect, which the locals used to refer to as the land lobster. Females grow up to six inches long, with bodies as thick as a finger, and, and long stout legs with hooks. Uh, unfortunately, um, they're wiped out by the rats. The last one was seen in the 1920s, and despite regular surveys, there have been no trace of them since. These things lived in the forest. They climbed out of, uh, of, of trees to, to forage at night, eating leaves, and they were gone, or so they thought, until someone unexpectedly found a carcass of one on what's called Ball's Pyramid, which, uh, which juts out of the sea uh, not, not far off of, uh, off of Lord Howe Island. Well, some biologists went out to take a look to see if there might be some specimens, and guess what? There were. They found a small clump of 20 of these stick insects scraping out a living on this, uh, you know, this basically this piece of rock, which only has a few shrubs on it. In fact, the last remaining refuge of this, of this insect appears to be a, a refuge of perhaps uh, 1,800 square feet, about the size of a house. They said uh, one, one good landslide on the island, and that would be it for, uh, for the, the land lobster. So biologists went, uh, went to the island, took out two pair, hoped to breed them, and they have succeeded. Uh, there are now are two populations of this insect uh, in the world, and they're planning to do what they can to reintroduce it to Lord Howe Island once they figure out how to get rid of the rats. And all I can say to that is good luck, but uh, you know maybe they'll figure something out. Anyway, we find that to be a hell of an interesting article in the current edition of New Scientist. Check it out. And and no, we do not know whether they used to eat the walking sticks on Lord Howe Island. The natives did so. 
I think they just call it the land lobster because it just, you know, looked like a big old, you know, arthropod. And I guess I should point out that the term arthropod means literally joint foot and refers to any creatures that, uh, you know, basically have jointed appendages to walk about. That would include uh, not just insects, but crustaceans as well. So it would equally well apply to a lobster as a walking stick. Anyway, we're running out of time on this show. You know, I think we really need to do two hours a week or three hours a week. This this one hour is just not getting it. Um, I don't know what we're going to do about that. We said at the top of the show we were going to talk a little about the international situation, and all I can all I can do is think of that cartoon in uh, the Sacramento News and Review, which pretty much shows what's going on in the Middle East as possibly being the war clouds of World War III. It does make me wonder. I got a lot of material on what's happening in uh, in Iraq, and, and more particularly what's happening now in Lebanon. We're going to save it. Let's instead get in our obligatory dig at the knuckleheads that want to build an arena in Sacramento for the benefit of Las Vegas billionaire casino owners, the Maloof Brothers. The city fathers and mothers in Sacramento decided they're going to put a quarter cent sales tax uh, before the public to, to finance this great white elephant. We're, we plan to be on this story like white on rice, but in the mean, but for today, let's refer you to Daniel Weintraub's excellent column in last uh, Sunday's B, noting that uh, although they claim that why the Maloofs will pay as much as 26 to 30% of this deal, Daniel Weintraub points out this is bogus accounting. This is worthy of Enron. Weintraub's math, which frankly we trust a hell of a lot more than that of Mayor Heather Fargo's, explains that the Maloof boys are probably going to contribute something like, at, at most, 17% of the costs of this great fiasco. It may be as little as 11%. I know some of you Kings fans just think this is great. Boy, it's full speed ahead on this one. But uh, the official radio parallax policy is, let them move to Vegas. And of course, the opinions expressed in this program, we should point out, uh, are those of Radio Parallax alone and not necessarily reflective of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. There was an article also in the B explaining how this was a good deal for businesses. We say bunk, and we're going to analyze that further in the weeks to come. All right, three final quickie items. We have it on good authority that the upcoming movie, Snakes on a Plane, due in theaters next month, Includes such scintillating dialogue from Samuel L. Jackson as, I'm tired of these MF snakes on this MF plane. We're definitely going to see if we can get our media correspondent Gary Chu to sound off on that one. I don't have time for two, two remaining items, so I'll save one for next week and just close with this. A Bethesda, Maryland company, Intellipark LLC, is marketing a sonar technology that will enable parking meters to tell when the space is unoccupied and thus reset the meter to zero. This company is determined to remove that small little pleasure that life occasionally provides of pulling up and getting a free ride on the meter from somebody else's dime, or in the case of the jerks that operate in Sacramento, quarter. And according to the jerks at Intellipark, uh, not only were they able to collect more money, they said the network of sensors can help cities better manage street parking by cutting down on congestion. 
They pointed to a study of a, of a 15-block area in L.A. over a year where drivers racked up almost a million vehicle miles cruising for parking spots. They then, of course, utterly failed to explain how this device is going to generate more parking spots. But I guess it sounds good if you're stupid. Thus, I imagine this will be of great interest to those who operate the parking meters in Sacramento. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next Thursday. Well, we'll catch up with a lot of items we still didn't get to today and delve back into the ugly world of politics. See you then. A